0: From the street, cousin, you know the drill. I'm 999,000 short of a meal. Annie up, yap that fool. Annie up, kidnap that fool. It's the perfect timing. You see the man shining. Get up off them diamonds. Annie up, yap that fool. Annie up, kidnap that fool. Get him, get him, get him. Hit him, hit him, hit him. Yap him, zap him, yap him, zap him. Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with submedia Media Reviews. What's up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to Sub Media Reviews. I'm your host, Kiara, and if you're listening to this episode on its release date, January 30th. 2024. It is the 20th anniversary of the film I'm reviewing today. Today we're celebrating 20 years since You Got Served was released into this world. I'm excited to review a movie that my 13-year-old self was so eager to watch. This movie primarily features group members from the hit R&B group B2K, Omarion, aka Omari Granberry, Jay Bug, aka Jarrell Houston, Raspy aka Demario Thornton, and Lil Fizz aka Drew Frederick. Additionally, the movie features Marcus Houston as Elgin, Jennifer Freeman as Leah, and Steve Harvey as Mr. Rad. I literally cannot wait to review this movie today. Now before we jump into the fun facts for You Got Served, I have to plug some of the upcoming reviews that I'm really excited about. February is Black History Month, and here at Submedia Reviews, each week of that month, we're going to be focusing on Black classics from four different genres, historical drama, romance, romance horror and comedy next week we're going to be discussing the color purple which is definitely a black classic and has had a major resurgence due to the remake or reimagining that was just released in march women's histories month we are going to focus on women-led media i don't want to spoil the surprise for march just yet but make sure you subscribe follow and hit the notification bell so you know when these episodes are released now back to you got served here are some fun facts about the movie All of the film's battles were very competitive in real life. The fight that broke out during the first battle with Wade's crew was not in the script, but everyone was so mad at each other that they just started fighting. now while filming the opening battle the director would yell cut but Omarion kept battling with Columbus short Omarion's character David does a backflip while at the same time Columbus's character does a move that looks like he's pulling David up Now, this was not in the original choreography it was actually a true battle and interestingly enough this particular scene that I'm talking about is one of the ones that I remember the most probably because it was featured in like the promotional materials for the movies and we'll talk Talk more about that scene later on. Now, the second fun fact is that You Got Served hit the number one slot at the U.S. box office during the Super Bowl weekend of 2004 and grossed $48 million from a budget of $8 million. I can guarantee that most of that money came from the parents of black teenage girls. <laughs> and the third fun fact is that an instructional dance video companion to the film called You Got Served Take It to the Streets came out in 2004, shortly after the movie was released on DVD. Now, the 1984 dance movie that was the main influence for You Got Served, Breaking, which came out in 1984, also had its own instructional dance video companion released shortly after it came out on VHS. I would literally pay money to see this instructional video. I would love to just do some dances from it, just to like have a gay old time. Not that anything that they do in this movie is something that I could physically accomplish, (laughs) but just to try it. It sounds like it would be a gay old time, okay? But if you want to check out You Got Served, you actually have to rent it as of the recording of this episode. As always, if I have to rent movies, I prefer to use Amazon Prime due to its handy IMDb x-ray feature. So that's where I rented it and watched it to review this movie. Here's the time for me to talk about my personal connection to this film. There has never been a movie that I've ever reviewed here at Submedia Reviews that captures a snapshot of my life so much as You Got Served. Because from ages like... 11 to like 13 ish. B2K had me in a chokehold. Okay. So, this personal connection piece is going to be riddled with things that I remember from that time, with things that I was able to research. It's going to be the longest personal connection <laughs> section that I have ever discussed in the history of all of my reviews because, just again, this particular time period in my life, I was very impressionable. I was in my adolescence. And I just remember the time really fondly, like middle school going into high school. Y'all, let's just get into it. Okay. So again, around the time I was 11 years old, a four member R&B group of good looking black teenage boys came out. They were called B2K, which loosely translates to boys of the new millennium and little black girls everywhere went crazy, including myself and my friend group and my sisters. B2K made music that might actually still like, secretly slap but you probably aren't proud to bump too loud these days some of the songs were like a little bit cheesy and for the most part i feel like they don't all hold up as well i remember that b2k was freaking everywhere when i was younger their manager Chris Stokes was a chunky kind of greasy middle-aged man but he was probably a marketing genius okay because I recall B2K being on 106 and Park doing really good performances on the BET Awards they were always featured in the urban teen magazines like Word Up they had sold out shows to their Scream tour and they collaborated with other relevant artists at the time like Bow Wow Nick Cannon P. Diddy and even he who shall not be named aka R. Kelly now I loved watching B2K's music videos, listening to their CDs on repeat, and just learning as much about them as possible, okay? I literally was a true fan of this group. Now, the group members were Omarion, J-Bug, and Lil Fizz. Omarion was the lead singer for a long time. He had cornrows. J-Bug was like a really, really good dancer. And I feel like it wasn't until later, maybe like second or third album that we learned that he actually also could sing really well, <laughs> which was a surprise to me. was rasby who was a talented singer too he had one song in particular where he did the lead vocals so he was a a good singer as well and then we had lil fizz who was not a singer at all and he was the rapper of the group and he had a really kind of unique voice yeah the choreography was always on point for them i personally love jay book until this day i think he's still the most attractive okay because i was a super fan i know almost all of their songs but some of my favorites were sprung uh-huh bum bum Bump, and gots to be of course the other songs that kind of come to mind is like bada go bada boom like <laughs> The songs were never particularly well written or anything, but they were just catchy, just so catchy. And Omarion had a really distinct sound. He sang probably like 90% of the songs. So in addition to like the distinct sound and the catchiness and just their whole image and the fact that they were everywhere, I feel like I'm not speaking too, maybe, I don't know if it's sacrilegious to say they were kind of like my Beatles. That's (laughs) it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to move on from there. Also, when this movie came out, the soundtrack to You Guys Serve was probably the first soundtrack in my lifetime that I actually really dove into, that I like listened to all the songs, that I knew where the songs were placed in the movie and the kind of themes behind them. I think this was like my first time exploring a soundtrack just because I was so kind of enveloped in the fandom of the entire group. So it was nice that we got like a movie as well as new music from the group too. The soundtrack actually reminded me of something. There were a number of musical acts that were less popular but routinely piggybacked off B2K's success. The most notable to me are Orion who is Omarion's brother and Janae Aiko. Now, funny enough, Orion and Janae actually have a child together and I'm happy that Janae finally gets her own shine. Janae has a song on the soundtrack called Happy. That was one of my least favorite songs, but her voice sounds pretty good on it. And Janae, like I said, finally has a career on her own and she doesn't have to ride B2K's go anymore. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> as I was doing research for this review, I forgot how many notable stars were in You Got Sir. This movie features two members of IMX, formerly known as Amateur, including Marcus Houston and Jerome Jones, AKA Young Rome. Now we know Marcus Houston's from his role as Roger on Sister Sister and his brief solo career with songs like Naked, Circle and clubbing y'all clubbing is my song okay (laughs) you know we be up in the club like i enjoy that song but other notable stars in this movie include steve harvey lala anthony megan good aka coretta apparently (laughs) lil kim jackie harry who is also from sister to sister and columbus short again chris stokes might not have a whole bunch of scruples we'll get a little bit into that later but his marketing skills are fantastic okay he convinced some big names to be in this movie i also discovered that he wrote and directed this film so let's keep that in mind as well now interestingly enough around the time you guys served came out the group disbanded b2k was no more okay now from what i thought i remembered from 20 years ago I thought Raspi had accused manager Chris Stokes of some type of sexual harassment or S.A. Now, I don't know if any of the accusations were investigated or substantiated at all. So all of that is alleged don't sue, okay? But after doing a little research, I found a couple of articles that offer different perspectives on the breakup. Now, one article mentioned that Raspi, J. Bug, and Fizz were dissatisfied with their management, Chris Stokes, due to not being financially compensated appropriately and they wanted to leave their label. Now, Omarion apparently had agreed to exit with them, but at some point changed his mind. Because he saw Chris Stokes as a father figure, he refused to leave the label along with the rest of his group mates around the same time Omarion Fizz and Raspbi were each doing their solo projects adding to the stress now in a different article detailing a 2022 interview with Fizz Fizz claimed that in addition to the desired change in management and that little disagreement Omarion was sour that a woman he liked was sleeping with Fizz while they were on the Scream tour assuming that whoever this person was they actually were hired to be a part of the Scream tour which explains like an extended relationship that lasted throughout the tour the way the article made it sound and I went back to management with the news of the other members in the group wanting to end their deal because he was pissed that fizz was dating this woman so he went and told daddy that the rest of the kids were unhappy okay so this is way more messy than i remember But managers have historically taken advantage of musical groups and they play favorites with the lead singers of those groups. It's literally a tale as old as time. So a lot of this stuff is not beyond the realm of imagination, okay? I think that the group disbanding added to the desire of fans to see this movie because we basically knew it was the end of an era. We, of course, didn't know if they would ever get back together, if there would ever be any more music. So this basically was their last gift to us. (laughs) It sounds silly, but I was 13, okay? That's what it felt like to me. It was their last gift to us after they broke our freaking hearts, okay? So Omarion and Lil Fizz went on to go solo. With Omarion being probably the most successful, he had songs like, oh... That's what I'm going down. Girl, when it's going down. He also had Entourage. Maybe i be And also Icebox. I got this Icebox where my heart used to be. And he was even in the Fat Albert movie as the villain, if you all remember. Along with Marcus Houston, who was one of the characters. The one that had like the mask over his face. I don't know the man's name. But... <laughs> Razby moved to China I don't know what he was doing in China but he seems the happiest to me of all of them he has this blissfulness about him that makes me think that he is just so happy and then J-Bug went on to make and star in low budget movies (laughs) that's all I know about him (laughs) back in 2019 B2K came back together for the 2019 Millennium Tour, which was like a reunion tour. So I probably could have gone, but I think the little preteen girl inside of me was low key over it. And again, because I don't feel like all of their songs hold up, I don't know what it would be like to be in a room with people who were like in their 30s dancing to Bum Bum Bum. I don't know. I also want to note that You Got Served was referenced in shows like South Park, Meet the Spartans, and Dance Flick. I would personally also credit it with inspiring like a short wave of similar films, most notably Stomp the Yard, which came out in 2007 and also featured Columbus Short. Now, in my research, I found that there is actually a loose Canadian sequel called You Got Served Beat the World that came out in 2011. WTF, like I low want to watch it. <laughs> A sequel, who knew, okay? Now, I remember this group fondly. And while I don't play their music much anymore, I spent my formative years being a super fan of B2K. So we are really about to take a ride down memory lane. Again, I don't know that I've ever reviewed a movie here at Submedia Reviews that has literally captured a moment in time for me, like this particular movie. So I'm really excited for us to do it for Lil' Saint today. So (laughs) So let's get into it. We open the movie with the song, Annie Up, this version of the song is called Robin Hood's Theory, and it's by M.O.P. featuring Master Flex. And when I tell you that this song is so good at getting me hyped up, Annie Up, get that fool, Annie Up, get that fool. (laughs) It's literally a song about robbing people. So it's not good like in having a positive message, but the music, the energy and the way the artists use their voices makes it a classic and like a really great way to open this film and bring the energy right away. So we see this dance battle going on between two rival crews and what looks like some kind of underground boxing arena that we eventually learned is a warehouse. And it has a little loft up top so that people can look down and watch from above, as well as like on the bottom level where the dance battle is taking place. Now, everyone in this film is basically wearing baggy clothing. Everybody's dressed like Nelly. Loki. <laughs> I didn't expect to have a reaction to early 2000s attire the way that I did, but it's very funny. Lots of this early 2000s Streetwear apparel is so funny to me y'all oh Jesus but anyways everyone who is dance battling right now is really feeling the music they're all dancing their butts off and the crews take turns throughout the song often like dividing their crew into smaller groups to do like separate little routines now I've already spent way too much time talking about my personal connection to this film so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about the dance battles but I will make notes about things that I remember or like dance moves that I find really impressive now in this first dance battle we see that Raz B's character Vic is actually on the rival dance crew and not the same one that Fizz, J Boog, and Omarion the other three members of B2K are on. I also want to point out that J Boog is so beautiful and watching him dance and how effortless it is is an art form. In his opening move when he's dancing with the crew there are two other guys on either side of him One of them is actually the person who choreographed this film, if I remember correctly. J-Bug is just outshining the heck out of them. It looks like it's easy to him. But I would die if I did these same dance moves. (laughs) Just look, he did like a lot of hip thrusts and hip movements in his sweatpants. It was crazy, okay? But a few other things that stand out to me during this battle is that the crews often do like these little bits while dancing that are meant to either really impress the crowd or embarrass the other crew. For instance, Raz B did this thing where he was acting like a dog and treating the other team like a fire hydrant and like lifting his leg, things like that, that will kind of wow the crowd. And so also at the end of every turn, the crews usually have some type of kind of finishing move to kind of round out their turn. Now I'm low key shocked at how much I enjoyed this opening scene. Okay. Like I just really enjoyed enjoyed it. There were moments where I had to pause and like rewind because I was taking notes and I was just like, look at the energy. I could just feel the energy. And I think part of me went back to being young and watching this and like with all the people that I really admired and enjoyed their work it's just great y'all whatever I really like the opening scene but anyways I also want to note that some crews in this movie are co-ed there were a number of women on Raz B's crew but it looked like the other crew that featured the other members of B2K actually were all men now in this movie Omarion's character's name is David Marcus Houston's character's name is Elgin. I'm going to try to stick to character names just for the sake of consistency, but we'll see how it goes. Now, some of these dancers are doing really impressive break dancing and balancing acts. And one guy slides across the floor on his head like look this room is full of energy and I can believe that fun fact that I talked about earlier where this is actually becoming a competition that was like people are actually competing and the director yelling cut and they're like nah nah he not gonna disrespect me I'm gonna do a dance move right right now we finna battle for real for real and I can see it actually getting really intense and so now comes the part that I also talked about in, <laughs> in the fun fact about where Omarion does that backflip in Columbus Short's face in this one-on-one battle and it was this moment where Columbus Short is on the left and Omarion is on the right and they are dance battling it out is so funny to me. I don't know why. I don't know why this is so funny to me, but it is freaking hilarious. It's so funny. (laughs) So do any of you all remember that Columbus Short was one third of the fictional boy band Boys in Motion from the Disney Channel show That's a Raven? Seeing him dance against Omarion is a mixture of hilarious and ridiculous, but it's also a reminder of how multi-talented Columbus Short is. And I'm like, look, he sad that he ruined his career. Like, that's actually pretty sad to me because I was very hopeful for him. I never watched Scandal, but I know that he was on the first few seasons and ended up having to leave due to some... Other issues and stuff one of the other things that I noticed I don't want to get us off track y'all but one of the other things that I found out is that Columbus Short was married to a woman whose first name I cannot pronounce from 2005 to 2013 and she is also in this movie she's also in You Got Served we meet her later but I'm curious if they were already dating and they booked this movie together or if they met on You Got Served how crazy would that be? That's crazy. But anyways, while I was going down that rabbit hole, I also found out that Columbus Short was married previously and his relationship with that person ended because he had an affair with Brittany Friggin Spears. Y'all, what is going on? That's scandalous. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. So yeah. That's crazy, but the woman who he actually got married to and was married to for a number of years, her character's name is Toya. I'll get to her a little bit later, but yeah. Anyway, while Columbus Short and Omarion are battling, David, again, Omarion's character, does a backflip right as Columbus literally looks like he's pulling Omarion up. And you can see, if you pay attention, the shocked faces on all of the other dancers' faces. And you can tell that that was not planned, that it just kind of worked out that way. But it was cool and it got the crowd going. And to me, it was obvious that David and Elgin's crew edged out the rival crew. So the Steve Harvey character, whose name is Mr. Rad, comes onto the dance floor to basically say that the battle is over. And he gets the crowd to vote on which crew wins the $600 in prize money. And immediately I said, $600? WTF? (laughs) Each crew looked like they had maybe 10 to 12 people on it. If you win, that's like $50, $60 per person. (laughs) If you think about how much time they had to spend rehearsing, $56 per person is not worth it, okay? Personally. Now, anyways... David and Elgin's crew win, of course, and they do a little taunting to the other crew. But when Vic, again, raspy characters, moans about not winning, Mr. Rad steps in and lectures him about, you know, you need to get better and not moan about you losing and, and don't start no trouble up in here. Now, from what I remember hearing about like this movie being made, Mr. Rad's character was actually supposed to be kind of like a villain. But Steve Harvey refused to be anything but a fatherly role model in the neighborhood in this film. And while it's cool that he provides a safe space for the crews to compete, it's a little bit weird how invested he is in dance battling. There was something a little bit off-putting about how invested he was in these kids' lives. And I can't put my finger on it. And it may just be me. I just felt like middle-aged man, young men and women doing dance battles in his warehouse for money. Am I tripping? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, immediately after they went or whatever, two young ladies approached the crew, praising their performance and telling them that the only thing that the crew is missing is the two of them. Their names are Toya and Kiki. And again, Toya is the one that ended up marrying Columbus Short. Now, this is when I realized that the dialogue in the movie is awful. Mind you, they've only said a few sentences so far. The movie just opened up. But the dialogue in the movie is so bad. And I can't tell if it's me being critical as like a 30 plus year old woman now who has made it her business to do unsolicited reviews of movies and TV shows, or if the way they're talking is just so outdated that like the jargon doesn't fit anymore of them being like, we want to be done with your crew and Amariyah being like, yeah, I've seen you guys. You're tight. <laughs> oh Jesus. And again, the early 2000 clothing is awful. And Lil Fizz's hair is a mess. Nobody slicked back his hair? What is going on? More like Lil Frizz. His hair was so frizzy. What was wrong with him? Now, in the next scene, Elgin and David are on a basketball court playing one on one and talking about life. Omarion's acting is actually pretty bad, but we will give him a pass because I believe this is his first kind of feature film situation. Marcus Houston, of course, is a better actor. He was acting since he was a child. I remember seeing Immature slash IMX in a number of house party movies. Marcus Houston also played Roger and Sister Sister. So his acting was better, but there really is only so much you can do with like a script written by Chris Stokes. Had he ever even written a script before? Who knows? Anyways, long story short, David is a little bit younger and is kind of on cloud nine thinking about how they're going to make it rich doing this dancing stuff and how happy he is with them winning last night's battle. And on the other hand, Elgin, is facing a lot of pressure for his mom to do something with his life that doesn't involve dedicating hours of practice just to get $60 out of a hat. His mom is overworked. His sister can't afford to go to Princeton. So she is working and going to community college until she can save up enough monies. So, you know, his family's struggling, inner city stuff. And <laughs> suddenly, David brings up the name Emerald just out of freaking nowhere. Later on, we find out that Emerald is a local crime person. I feel like the assumption is supposed to be that he is a drug dealer, so we're gonna go with that. But after I really thought about it, I was like, they could be doing any number of illegal activities, but we'll just say drugs, okay? But apparently, Emerald's a local drug dealer that David and Elgin do runs for in order to get fast cash because getting real jobs with their dancing schedules is unreasonable, maybe? Why? Just get a job. Anyways, they make a deal with each other that this is going to be their last run because they low-key hate having to do this for money, but they just don't have real jobs and are pouring themselves into this dancing stuff for $60 out of a hat every so often. But Emerald, who is played by Michael Teleferro, is a bald, dark-skinned, chunky man who wears suits and smokes cigars and low-key reminds me of the boss villain in space Jam, Mr. Swackhammer. <laughs> he's supposed to be menacing but something about his affect comes across a little cartoonish which is why he reminds me of mr swaghammer you may remember him as one of the prisoners from the movie life i believe he no is he the one that asked about the cornbread or was that bernie Mac who asked about the cornbread jesus i think it was him let me check yeah, that was him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so he was the man. I <laughs> wasn't Eddie Murphy, he asked, or I can't remember who he asked. It was either Eddie Murphy or Martin. He asked that they were going to eat their cornbread <laughs> around the time that they first got to the prison in life. But yeah, he actually died a number of years ago, unfortunately. So it was good seeing him in this film. So yeah, they do the run for Emerald and get some money moving on. It's the next day and we are at Elgin's house. Elgin's mom is played by Jack A. Harry. Again, sister, sister, throwback. Even though Jack A. Harry did not play Roger's mom and sister sister. She was a motherly figure to him. So it's kind of neat seeing them together again. And his sister Leah is played by Jennifer Freeman, who you may remember as the light skinned replacement for the middle daughter of my wife and kids. Now I never thought Jennifer Freeman was a good actress and her performance in this movie is no exception. But because David and Elgin were out late, David spent the night at Elgin's house and Leah is instructed by her mother to make the boys some breakfast and I was like oh gross okay These boys don't have no job. They can make their own breakfast. All they be doing is dancing and rehearsing. They have energy, okay, to make their own breakfast. (laughs) Immediately, though, we are made to realize that Leah is interested in David, Jennifer somehow was able to muster up enough emotion to show us that when David's name came up that she was like, oh, damn it. But David and Jennifer, you know, have a dumb conversation off to the side. I can't get into it, but just note that they have some tension going on between them and that they haven't hung out in three years since David moved away to like a different neighborhood. So this tension for them is new. Okay. There is, however, a point where Leah says that she's like, you know, I've been busy with work and school. You know how it is. And I want to point out that david does not in fact know how it is he's not in school he don't have a real job he don't know how it is now david <laughs> volunteers to walk leah to work in the background there's a song by janae going called down for you it's not on the soundtrack but i remember it and i was like omarion didn't brush his teeth or his hair like are you talking to this girl with dragon breath now i will say i do not like omarion's or lophis's hair in this movie omarion literally has pigtails What's going on? I understand that he had kind of phased out of the cornrows, but the whole movie pigtails and little frizz having that frizzy ponytail because he used to wear twists like early on in his career, or his hair was shorter, and then sometimes he would wear his hair and twists, but then he switched to a ponytail. Where was the hair budget? Where was the hair budget, Chris Stokes? What the heck? Now, when (laughs) when David and Leah are walking Leah to work, she gets a call from her brother Elgin and Elgin is low key suspicious of David. But he asked to speak to David because after the battle the previous night, some rich white kid named Wade gave him a tape that he wants to watch with David. So David hurries back to Elgin's house where the tape reveals that Wade and Max's crew wants to challenge David and Elgin's crew to a battle where each crew puts up $5,000. Now Wade and Max come across as uh, very believable douchebags. They have... I don't know if they're more experienced actors. Chances are they are because B2K was, to my knowledge, had never acted in anything before. But these two douchebags, (laughs) Wade and Max, (laughs) they have acting experience or they're just douchebags and they're acting like themselves. Speaking of douchebags, I recognize the actor who plays Max. I cannot remember his name. I had Googled it. Okay, I had to take a second to look it up, but his name is Robert Hoffman. I remember him being on the earliest seasons of Wild and Out. And if I recall, he might actually be a douchebag in real, <laughs> real life something about him again this is from my memory and this is probably almost 15 years ago that i I have seen him in wild and out but for whatever reason in my memory he came across as wanting to show off how good he was at stereotypically black things or activities which could you know is not limited to dancing i want to say also rapping too and comedy with comedy anybody can do comedy but I don't know if anybody will understand what I'm talking about or agree with me, but that's okay. But anyways, David and Elgin, of course, wanna participate, but $5,000 is a lot of money for these unemployed occasional drug runners. So they'll have to figure something out. They decide that they're gonna share the news with the rest of the crew after tonight's dance battle. So I'm trying to figure out what's the schedule for dance battles. <laughs> Cause they did one the previous day. They're doing one today. Is it weekends? Is it every night? Who knows? I don't freaking know. So let's move on. We're on to the next battle. okay? an all male crew battles a crew of all ladies this time. We don't have any dogs in this fight. There's no vested interest in this particular battle. The song that they're dancing to is called Find Out by Ace Ylone. I don't know how to pronounce this person's name, but go, you don't know now, but you gonna find out. It's not on the soundtrack, but I do think of it as one of the songs that comes to mind when I think about this movie. Now, because we don't care about either of these crews, the battle is pretty short, but the guys obviously win. Now, I want to point out that these dancers actually can be really expressive. It's kind of impressive the way that they taunt each other and how, in addition to moving their bodies, they're moving everything else too, including their facial expressions. I was like, they actually did a pretty good job on that. The dancing is still impressive to me. Now, when the all male crew wins the money in the hat, Mr. Rad reveals that David and Elgin's crew wants to challenge them for double or nothing. And this all male crew accepts because of pride and ego and because the storyline requires it, okay. We need to see that David and Elgin's crew is better than all the other local crews out there. Now, weirdly enough, David and Elgin's crew as they battle this other crew dance to the exact same song as the battle before. Find out by A.C. Yalone, however you pronounce it. And the battle is good. The most notable moves include a brief appearance of the new female members of the group who have learned choreography in a matter of a few hours. If you recall, they just asked to join yesterday. So that was fast. <laughs> Jay Book's character, who is named Rico, was being fashioned into a mannequin that like flips the bird at the other crew. That was very good and memorable. And David and Elgin's crew literally danced the other crew off the stage. So those were the t- kind of top moments for me. They did clearly win the battle. And before they could collect their winnings, David and Elgin revealed the $5,000 challenge to the crew. One of the... Remember? One of the... <laughs> One of the members of the crew was like, show me the money, what, what? <laughs> and I was like, don't we talk like this in the early 2000s? <laughs> so... David and Elgin asked the show me the money, what, what guy, if he could get someone named Oscar to join them so that they could win this $5,000. But according to that guy, I believe his name might've been Marty. I'm not hundred percent sure. Oscar apparently don't battle no more, but he'll ask him anyway. Oscar comes up later, like multiple times. It's crazy how much this person came up for what they actually contributed. Now, Elgin basically goes over the rules of like how this whole $5,000 challenge is going to go, right? He's like, y'all, we got to practice every day and me and David, like Elgin and David are going to put up the $5,000. Now, here's the weird part. If the crew wins the battle, David and Elgin say they will split $3,000 and the crew who participated in the challenge, which will be like 10 people, will split the remaining 7,000. Now, if we do some quick math, best case scenario, David and Elgin will each lose $1,000 because they will contribute $2,500 to each to put up for the $5,000 and they will receive $1,500 in return. I can't tell if they're stupid or if they're generous. <laughs> so, one of the crew members named Sonny, who was actually played by the super handsome IMX member, Young Rome, Y'all, he was the one that wore the eye patch. He is so cute. Anyways, he disagrees with this plan he thinks that they should all you know equally put in towards the five thousand dollars and share in the winnings equally while the rest of the crew thinks that it's fair that David and Elgin get a larger portion since they're the ones putting up the entire amount Sonny kind of looks defeated and a little upset when the group rejects his idea and Loki makes fun of him for not volunteering to put up the whole five thousand dollars himself now I for one think that Sonny made a whole lot of sense it makes sense to me that y'all all put in equally I don't know but they somehow had to make it look like Sonny was being unreasonable and they will regret it okay but then right after this a young kid named Lil Saint who's probably about eight years old comes in asking about joining the crew and Sonny immediately shuts this kid down saying that he can't dance it is laughable how hard Chris Stokes want us to hate Sonny Sonny asks why Jay Bug's character Rico hangs out with Lil Saint and like took him under his wing and Rico starts getting mad at Sonny like don't be talking about Lil Saint like that and we learned that you know Rico has this special big brother type of relationship with Lil Saint weirdly enough though other members of the crew confirm that Lil Saint is bad and he can't dance or in their words he dances like a white boy Ugh, don't like that terminology and I'm like, oh, so y'all actually agree with Sunny? Sonny didn't say it in like a nice way, but he's like, you can't even dance. Why are you here? <laughs> and they scold him about it. But then they say the same thing and it's okay. And it's like, what is with this crew and their hatred for Sunny? I feel like it's low-key unwarranted. What's going on? Who knows? Like I said, they'll regret it. Now, <laughs> later on, oh, I forgot to mention that at this particular battle, Leah is there watching along with a friend of hers. So after that, some of the crew go out and have dinner at this diner that shows up a lot in the movie. And so quickly, Leah admits to David that she likes him at this diner. And we get introduced to Leah's friend, Beautiful, with two L's, played by Megan Good. Now, Elgin scolds his sister for missing work. She had to have someone cover one of her shifts in order to attend the battle that night. And I was like, no, he did not. This man ain't got no job and he's scolding somebody about work. What the heck? Elgin does crazier stuff to his sister throughout the movie and it's kind of nuts. We'll get into it later. But how dare you? You're unemployed. But then Elgin and David scurry off to do another drug run for Emerald, so that they can save up more money to set aside the 5000 for this challenge. Why didn't they just ask the crew to put something in? Just to relieve their burden a little bit. I don't freaking know. What, I don't, whatever. There's like a little small hint that Beautiful likes Elgin, but he's too focused on dancing and doing drug runs to make it make sense. Anyway, Ludacris' stand-up plays in the background as they reluctantly do another drug run. Elgin is particularly mad that they have to do it again, which kind of feels true to life. But what's funny, like I said, is that I assumed it was drugs, but they can literally be doing any number of illegal activities. <laughs> so. The next day, Elgin calls Wade's crew. And during the day, some of the dancers from different crews are playing basketball on the local public basketball court, including Vic who again is played by Raz B. In the background, Nouveau 3 Ali, I don't know how to, or Nouveau Bali, I don't know how to pronounce the name of the song, by Moby Dick featuring Medi-K Libre is in the background. That song comes to mind a lot when I think about this movie too. But the guys are on the basketball court talking trash during the game. And Vic's facial expressions and Raspi's delivery of Vic's lines were actually pretty convincing in this moment. I was low-key impressed. But Wade and Max show up to the basketball court and Elgin tells him, y'all, we finna battle y'all in a week. And Wade is like, oh, y'all practice? My crew doesn't practice. We just do it. And I was like, excuse me? What dance crew just does it? What does that even mean? No, we just do it. (laughs) What are you talking about? There's no way that you all could be that Syncopated, and together, and synchronized. I don't even know. Syncopated is probably the wrong word. Without rehearsing, what are y'all talking? I don't know nothing about dance crews. But if y'all don't rehearse, how how do you dance together? Does make sense? Oh, Jesus, we don't rehearse. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyways, Elgin gets pressured into scheduling the battle for that very night. When he talks to David about pushing up that timeline, he basically said that his ego got the best of him. And we find out that they actually don't have the 5K to put up tonight. Elgin got 2000 David has $1,500. So Elgin is somehow going to get the rest. So again, under these new circumstances, best case scenario, Elgin will put up $3,500 and receive $1,500 in return for a complete loss of $2,000. Why is nobody doing the math on this? Okay, whatever. Oh, I forgot to mention that David and Elgin also have like a little stupid handshake and a noise that they make when they're done. (laughs) Like, (laughs) stupid. (laughs) So Elgin ends up asking his grandma for the money. It's actually like a cute little scene between a grandson and a grandma. It's cute. Oh, and it actually explains a little bit of why Elgin is the way he is. It's not justifiable, but like whatever it's just a cute little scene with his grandma so next up we're at Mr. Raz warehouse and the 5k battle is about to start and Sunny is nowhere to be found if y'all remember Sonny is the one that wanted everyone to contribute and split the 5,000 evenly and he's the one that was talking noise about Lil Saint in a way that everyone hated even though they talked noise about Lil Saint shortly after <laughs> but anyways he's nowhere to be found so Lil Fizz's character who I believe his name is Rashawn I think that's his name. He tries to call him on this super retro smartphone. I suspect it's the Motorola V70, but y'all technology has come so far, okay? Sunny does not pick up the phone, so they have no idea where he is. The teams hand over their money to Mr. Rad and Mr. Chuck. Mr. Chuck is an LAPD officer who is packing in case someone is feeling froggy over the $10,000. Now, Mr. Rad wants to emphasize that friendship is the most important thing. We're not going to be fighting up here, okay? So it's time for the back And when Sonny shows up, we realize that he is actually now a part of Wade and Max's crew. He's a traitor. The betrayal. Now, I told y'all that they would pay for making Sonny the bad guy. And this is how they pay $5,000. This turn of events is an interesting twist. It's not groundbreaking, but it is illuminating because we now know why Wade wanted the date pushed up and we realize that David and Elgin's crew basically got played. So that's not nice, but they are in it now. They've already contributed their money. There's literally nothing that they can do. And so the song that they dance to is Flipside by Freedway. We rip girls, a whole lot of volume and a little bit of bass is all it takes to make the black get one. <laughs> Well, the battle begins and here are a few notable moments. In Bring It On fashion, Wade's crew performs David and Elgin's crew's dance moves. Sonny, who is not the best dancer, is kind of leading the charge in this particular instance. He is obviously Wade's smoking gun and there are moments where he like gets his revenge by just like dancing in other people's faces. David and Elgin are just so stunned that they kind of dance a little bit, but they really can't do any dance moves that Sonny doesn't know. And so it makes them look bad. And so a lot of the time, they're just literally standing there pointing out like, hey, David, that's your dance move. Oh, that's my dance move. And it's like, oh, y'all supposed to be dancing. They're just in so much shock that they really can't do anything. <laughs> Wade's crew does the heel toe all the way to victory while David and Elton's crew sulk and get mad and they nucking and bucket and ready to fight y'all and when they start a little shoving match Mr. Rad and Mr. Chuck suddenly start paying attention to the battle it looked the way it looked Mr. Rad and Mr. Chuck were engrossed in a conversation and turned around to see that the kids were fighting why weren't they watching the battle The battle lasts literally for like the length of one song. It's like three and a half minutes, four minutes. You can turn around and look for four minutes (laughs) in your warehouse. I don't know what what they were so enveloped in that they didn't see that fight breaking out sooner, but whatever. Yeah. So the Mr. Rat and Mr. Chuck break up the fight and based on audience feedback, the money goes to Wade's crew. Wade and Max's crew are the winners. So when Elgin says, y'all cheated by stealing our moves, Wade says, y'all are just mad. Because you suckers got served. And for the first time in ever, I'm actually thinking about the racial and classes implications of what happened in this movie and in this moment. Now, a lot of times movies use race and class issues as a tool for like superficial tension or comic relief. Think like bring it on or save the last dance. And while I won't say that this movie addresses these issues in a more meaningful way, I do think that there could be Possibly. A deeper meaning that I really thought about before. In essence, a couple of rich white kids baited some underprivileged young adults into a battle that they could not win. They stole their moves and essentially their money, and one of their members. There are tons of examples throughout history of kind of similar stories. For instance, Living Single was the predecessor to Friends. New Kids on the Block came after New Edition. The NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys were modeled after Boys to Men. This feels like a metaphor, but I'm 100% sure that I'm giving Chris Stokes too much credit. What do you all think? Is there more meaning? Is there actual dialogue and conversation to be had around this struggle between the wealthy privileged kids and the working class underprivileged kids of color in this film I feel like I'm putting 20 on 10 but I am open to your feedback the dejected crew gets a little pep talk from Mr. Rad and David is like Sonny's gonna get his and so the David and Eldridge crew is just hella mad (laughs) so it's the next day and David and Elgin are on the basketball court. They're still pissed. They're still talking about how they got played. But Elgin already set up plans with Emerald so that he could get some of that money back. Again, if you remember $1,500 of that money was his grandma's money. He want to get that money back to his grandma, right? So Vic also comes to join them on the court. And he's like, hey, I see that y'all lost somebody. Can I be down with your crew? Apparently Vic's crew disbanded because they kept losing. Such sore losers. And... Elgin and David willingly and easily accept Vic into their group. And I'm like, literally everyone who has asked to be a part of this dance crew has gotten in except Lil Sander. (laughs) They basically have an open door policy that this, look, this team of people literally only rejected people who are below the age of 10. They'll let anybody in. But anyways, David borrows $10 from Vic and he leaves the basketball court promising to meet up with Elgin at 10 p.m. to do those illegal activities for Emerald. Now, David picks up Leah from work and they hang out and fool la la at the diner. Now, when I say fool la la, it basically means the same as like lollygagging or like hanging about with no particular purpose, I guess, or reason. But yeah, I just want to clarify that. So they fool la line at the diner and David's phone keeps blowing up because his crew wants to talk about how crappy their experience was at the $5,000 dance battle. But Leah is getting tired of the phone ringing. So at some point, Emerald calls Elgin and says, hey, I need you all to come sooner. I need you all to make the drop now and not at 10 p.m. as was originally planned. And so I said it in a way less menacing way. <laughs> so Elgin tries to call David to say like, hey, we need to go out here and get active. When he calls, Leah decides to turn off his phone because she's like, look, you've been answering phone calls at this diner the whole time. And you need to be focusing on me. And he's like, mm, OK, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I know you didn't just turn off my phone. Hmm, sure let's hang out uninterrupted so yeah now elgin is unable to get in touch with david and is doing something very dangerous on his own so yeah that's how it goes also this date probably only costs ten dollars <laughs> because that's all he borrowed what the heck anyways so elgin basically has to do Double up on the drug run. And when he makes his way to whatever location he's dropping off these materials to, he ends up getting his ass whooped in a dark hallway to the song Heaven by Nas. Also not on the soundtrack. Now, every few years, someone on social media brings up this scene. And it's one of the more memorable scenes of the movie for me, of him getting his behind whooped in this hallway to this song. But after rewinding it a few times, I was like, this maybe wasn't as well choreographed as I remembered take another look at this scene if you can it's low-key a little bit funny you can tell that a number of the punches don't connect but Elgin does this thing where like he throws the bag and maybe he throws the first punch it looks weird but the next thing we know Elgin is on the ground bloody okay so at some point David Stop staring into Leah's eyes long enough to realize that he lost track of time and he is late connecting with Elgin. So when he turns on his phone, he gets a call about Elgin and Leah and David head to the hospital together. When David was on the phone talking to whoever it was, probably a mutual friend of theirs, he was like, oh, tell him to sit tight. And I was like, are you telling him to tell Elgin who's in the hospital to sit tight? That's a crazy thing to say to somebody in the hospital. (laughs) Well, Leah and David go to the hospital together where Rashawn, Rico, and I believe his name is Marty. He's another member of the dance crew are already there, right? And so Elgin lays into David and Leah for their date being more important than his safety. We see Elgin has a number of bruises and what looks like a pretty severe leg injury. It doesn't appear to be broken. I don't know what type of injury he would have that would require him to have that type of brace or support braces or whatever on his leg. But it looks pretty bad and he has to be on crutches. Elgin tells David that we not friends no more and that he basically forbids him from seeing his sister Leah. And when Leah tries to explain that she was the one who turned his phone off and this is her fault, Elgin yells at her and demands that she stop acting like a little hoe. And then when the guys almost get into a fight in the hospital, they basically get kicked out of there. And so Elgin leaves. Leah had already stormed off after being called a little hoe. The other guys, Rashawn, Rico, and Marty, tell David they're like, mm, This is really your ML. You routinely let us down, you know, because of some girl. And David is like, No, she's not just some girl. And I don't do that. That's not what I do. But I feel like this sounds true. If your friend group is saying that you're abandoning them to be with ladies, like, Sounds I'm pretty sure to me. But what do you all think about this situation? Who is the most at fault for Elgin's injuries? I feel like if you're doing criminal activity, you should take quite a bit of personal responsibility. <laughs> However, if someone doesn't follow through on their plans, there is some for them to be had. But when you do illegal activities, you assume some risk. I don't know. It's probably a little bit of both. A little 50-50. Let me know what you think. Now, later on, we see that it's three days later and Elgin and Leah are having a conversation at home. Elgin is upset because he can't do any of the things that bring him joy, like basketball or dancing. We also see a decent performance from him as he shows some desperation over his dilemma with how he's going to repay Emerald. Now, this is the first time we hear Elgin speak about Emerald to someone other than David. Elgin is still pissed at David and blames him for his condition. Elgin refuses to get help regarding the situation with Emerald and we can see that Elton's pride is his biggest flaw. His second biggest flaw is thinking that he can dictate to his adult sister who she can date. So this is a deeply flawed man. Now, back at the dance studio where the crew, you know, rehearses, the crew minus Elgin, of course, is practicing to a song called Fizzle Got Flow by Lil Fizz. (laughs) It's an awful song on the soundtrack. I hate it. But they decide to make Lil Saint their mascot since he can't dance. We also find out that Lil Saint hangs with a bad crowd. Why isn't he in school? Maybe it's summer, whatever. Now, we also hear in this rehearsal that no one has heard from Elgin and that Oscar still refuses to come back and battle with them because he does it for the art and not battling anymore. Crazy, right? Next up, we go back to the diner where Streets Is Calling by B2K is playing in the background. This song is on the soundtrack, but it is hilarious to me because Omarion is literally singing about like hustling and struggling in the streets and like his friends dying in like the most R&B way possible. (laughs) It's really funny because the style of the song does not match the subject matter. If you listen to the lyrics and hear the song, you'll think that it's not even related, but Anyways, Leah and David meet up and they are distressed and acting poorly. They are doing a bad job of acting right here, in my opinion. But Leah reveals that Emerald is actually hounding Elgin for the value of these unknown goods that were stolen from him. And David did not know this detail. Now, suddenly Elgin comes into the diner on crutches with Vic and Rashawn and he is pissed. Elgin snatches Leah up twice. When I tell you that this was violent... I flinched. I was like, "Oh my gosh." That shocked me. I feel like he kind of like grabbed her by the back of the neck maybe or kind of yanked her up or something. Whatever it was, I was like, <gasps> I don't remember this being so violent, but I was astonished, okay? And so when he does that to her twice, things of course get <laughs> things of course get out of hand, okay? David ends up punching Elgin for roughing up his girlfriend. Now, while I typically don't advocate for punching people who are on crutches, Elgin deserved it, okay? And he is low-key a villain in this movie. I don't know if we see him that way, but he's a villain. He is. Or anti-hero? I don't know. I don't know the difference between a villain and anti-hero. But later on, Beautiful and Leah have a chat. The big idea is that Leah is in love with David, or that's at least what Beautiful thinks. Leah is going to be staying with Beautiful for a little bit, so she don't have to deal with her abusive brother. Now, next up, we see Elgin doing exercises and some rehab to, you know, repair his leg and get back on his feet. And his grandma is at the house trying to resolve the rift between Elgin and Leah. It's very grandma-ish to kind of ask siblings to kiss and make up without caring too much about the details (laughs) of the disagreement. But long story short, Leah reluctantly agrees to not see David. And she says that she hates Elgin for basically forcing her hand. Her grandma tells Elgin off for putting his hands on Leah and for trying to rule over her and saying that if she is making a mistake, you got to let her make it so she can learn. She even uses his full name, Elton Barrett Eugene Smith III. You can tell she means business. One of the ways you can tell she means business is when she tells him to sit his ass down. That was funny to me. Oh, that was funny. But when Elgin walks his grandma to her car, he gets accosted and threatened by Emeril, who wants his money ASAP. Now, Elgin won't be able to work it off for Emerald since paranoid Emerald thinks that Elgin could have possibly staged the robbery to get Emerald's money. So he squeezes Elgin's bad knee to get the point across that I will murder you and that I'm going to give you a few weeks on account of the fact that your partner called me and begged me not to hurt you. And I was like, not everything in this movie is like actually possible. This feels the least possible. <laughs> if I call a drug dealer and said, yo, please, please give my friend more time to give you that money that they owe you. Do you think that that person would listen to me? That's a question for you. It's not rhetorical. <laughs> Let me know that to me, that'll make no sense, okay? If that's the case, people need to phone a friend when they in trouble with the drug dealers. But anyways, back at the dance studio, We find out that David has a new crew. And so Rico comes in with little Saint, stating that Elgin also has a new crew. So basically the crew that used to be Elgin and David's together is kind of split down the middle and they are adding new members to create two different factions. And Rico is like, until y'all figure this ish out, I'm staying out of it. I'm not going to David's crew. I'm not going to Elgin's crew. I'm staying out of it. Okay, And he's like, you know, you and... David and Elgin together are like Kobe and Shaq. They're just so good together. And when one of them's not in the game, they're just not as good. Sure. But anyways, next up, we see another battle at Mr. Rad's warehouse. There's a crew going up against Wade's crew and they're dancing to Auntie up once again. Uh Good devil. Now, it looks like Wade's crew is the new kind of reigning champ. While this other crew is good, the one that's battling Wade's crew, Wade's crew has more impactful moves. And of course, they win the battle. Elgin and Vic are in the crowd. Wade and Max actually spot them and taunt them a little bit. But David and some of the other dancers are there and they all kind of cross paths at the same time. So there's some tension between these two kind of factions of, you know, these little split off splinter groups of dance crews but Rico was like you all need to stop fighting each other and channel this energy into Wade he's the real enemy we need to find the love again and I'm like okay sure (laughs) it's so easy (laughs) to find the love again. But yeah, in a new scene, Rico brings Elgin a poster about a dance battle competition called The Big Bounce, where the prize money is $50,000 and a chance to be in a music video. Now, Elgin is salivating at the opportunity to pay Emerald back with this money, but he shuts down Rico when he suggests that they get the old crew back together. One of the issues I have is that they do not talk about what makes David and Elgin such a great team. We know they have been friends for a long time, but whenever you have these movies that focus in on like a friendship it's really important for us to know what one person brings to the table that the other person doesn't that actually makes them complementary to each other and that piece of character development really is not here in my opinion but yeah we don't know why they work so well together they're friends like what does one of them dance with the other one coordinate one like who freaking knows like we don't know anyways elton's not down with reuniting the old crew and when rico does the same exact script going over the big bounce with david he's like Nah, we're not bringing Old crew back, but I'm gonna win this fifty thousand, and I'm gonna give Elgin some, so I want nothing. So while Elgin is coming across as very mean and unreasonable, David is coming across as very amenable and kind. Not necessarily personality traits, are they? I don't know. But it doesn't explain their roles within the dance team or the dance crew. Now, then we get another little weird montage of David and Elgin practicing alone and with their crews for this big bounce competition. Now, what's weird about it is the song choice. The song is called Anxiety by the Black Eyed Peas. It's not on the soundtrack, but it has a heavy guitar element that is really odd for this type of scene. My favorite part of this montage though, is Marcus Houston and Omarion dancing alone in the rain. Love it. Okay, it's so dramatic and hilarious. It's corny. It is low key impressive because I am a clumsy person. And if everywhere is surrounded in rain, I am gonna bust my behind at some point. So yeah, also Elton appears to be fully here. He's dancing and dropping it and he no more pain, I guess. So he good. So next up, we're at the semifinals at the big bounce competition. Lala Anthony is like the TV host and we see a few crews perform. Um, Apparently the semifinals is like 10 crews and they're gonna narrow it down to five. So if you look closely and pay attention, you will see that a few dancers appear in more than one crew throughout the movie. Now, the one person that is most notable and recognizable to me is B2K's choreographer, Dave Scott. He's super easy to spot because he's 6'4", while the tallest member of B2K is 5'7", and Marcus Houston is 5'10". So these crews dance to Do That Thing by B2K featuring Lil' Kim and also a remix of Bada Boom by B2K. You want to see that big bada bingo? Ba-da-boom. Mr. Rad shows up to the semifinals and he talks with Leah a little bit and he expresses concerns about David and Elgin and, and you know their breakup I guess the end of their romance and so when Leah brings up Emeril Mr. Rad conveniently says that I know everything that's going on in the neighborhood and my buddy Mr. Chuck is working something out with Emerald and David and Elgin don't ever have to worry about that again. Mr. Rad also suggests that they don't deliver this good news to Elgin and David so that they stayed freaked out, hoping that it will get them to get some sense. In what world does that work? In what world does that make any sense at all? I feel like he could have explained it in a better way if he felt like it was a good decision to keep them in the dark, I guess. It's freaking weird. (laughs) It's so weird, (laughs) y'all. But anyways this is the most nondescript easy peasy lemon squeezy way to handle one of the main conflicts in this film to have a man just show up and say i have a police friend who's going to deal with this drug dealer and david and elgin get off scot-free even though they're participating in criminal activity this is a nice way to wrap it up in a little tiny bow, huh huh isn't it this is what i'm talking about The story's not all the way developed not all the way thought through okay That doesn't make sense to me. Now, in this moment, I realize that Steve Harvey, Megan Good and Lala Anthony are in this movie and also in Think Like a Man. Okay, so that's an interesting connection. Now, Wade and his crew dance to The Choice Is Yours by Black Sheep. My dad's side of the family really loves the song. The song is not one the soundtrack but you may know it you can get with this or you can get with that you can get with this because this is where that love that song engine engine number nine on the new york transit line if my train goes off the track pick it up pick it up pick it up But anyway, Wade's team has like the super flexible wiggly guy that helps them to secure their spot in the top five. We learned from Lala that the winners will also be in a little Kim music video. So how nice, how nice is that? Okay, not just $50,000, but a chance to be visible and have other opportunities. We love that. Okay. Now, David's crew is up to perform in the semifinals and they dance to a song called Smells Like a Party by B2K hate that song it's on the soundtrack I hate it this smells like a party Rashawn and Rico are in the stands because again they are refusing to pick a side so they're just there observing and they mentioned that like hey we ain't seen a little sight today and that comes back later clearly but as David's team is performing one of the dancers falls and one of their stunts doesn't go over well so they end up not qualifying for the top five but next up Elgin's crew dances to take it to the floor by B2K which is okay so I don't know you think you We can take it to the floor We can take it to the tell me what you want to do, me. (laughs) Jesus, memories. I don't necessarily think that Elgin's crew was like the best, but could they make it to the top five? Sure. I also feel like they really engaged the judges and the crowd, and nobody fell. So I guess it makes sense (laughs) that someone would qualify. So apparently, this is the same day. We're at a diner. They go back to the diner. Beautiful and Leah pop up on David. And Beautiful kind of berates David while Leah is like, girl, give us some privacy. And Leah is like, you know, I'm just here to comfort you and be here for you. I know we're not seeing each other anymore due to my brother's wishes, but like, I hope you okay. And David was like, you know what? Eldon's crew beat us in the finals. And I was okay with that. And I was like, well oh, character's only real trait is just kind of being nice, Or a little naive. I don't know. He's not well-rounded, I'll say. But right then, Rashawn runs in saying that Lil Saint got shot in a drive-by. And they go to the hospital where Rico was asking about seeing Lil Saint. And the nurse is like, okay, well, you're not family because his family just left an hour ago. And I was like, beep, 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 beep. Hit number one. If a family left an hour ago after a child was shot, I would presume that that child expired. Personally. But they didn't pick up that hit. So they all sit in a waiting room until Elgin and Leah arrive. Mind you, separately from David, because David was like, You can't show up with me because the last time you showed up to a hospital with me, all hell broke. <laughs> and so Leah and Elgin show up, and a doctor who's played by Dorian Wilson, aka Professor Ogilvie, if y'all remember him from the Parkers, lets them know that Lil Saint died. Rico is so overcome with grief that he punches a wall. Damaging the drywall, and the punch feels believable, the crying feels believable afterwards, but we quickly cut to a new scene. Something about this scene feels out of place. Like the part that was recorded with the doctor may have been in a different location to where the wall got punched. Something about the transition was not very smooth. But overall, I think J Bug did a decent job of displaying grief and i think that this scene in this scene alone is probably what made j Boog think that he was capable of making low budget movies so yeah summer madness by cool the gang plays in the background which is again not on the soundtrack but next up is the next day rico comes to elgin's house and he's hella composed compared to how distressed he was the previous day okay he and leah cocked a scheme to get david and elgin in the same room to convince them to merge the crews all of this is fueled by little saint's death and rico's desire to be the man that little saint thought he was now david and elgin really are not trying to hear it but leah ends up making some good points about how the whole crew deserves a chance to win fifty thousand dollars and not just a portion with some new people that elgin scrapped together she also made some points about them just working better together and you know they do their best work together. Now Rico starts beating himself up about how like if I let Lil Saint join one of y'all little dance teams or whatever, he wouldn't have got shot up. And it's like, first off, he's whispering it. For whatever reason, Jay voice is really low in this particular scene, which is odd. But he's like blaming himself for what happened to Lil Saint. And it's like, unless you shot the gun, like y'all told him not to be hanging out with them people he be hanging out with. Like It's not your fault, buddy, but I will comfort you personally. This is the point when David says something that he should have said much earlier. Apparently, the contest rule says that they have to compete with the crew that they started with. And that settles that. And it's like, why didn't y'all say that before? Y'all went back and forth about this disagreement. Just say it's against the rules, baby. We can't do it. A Disagreement over with, okay? Elgin was not going to let it happen anyway, even if the rules were okay. Elgin still was not at the point of forgiveness. Like, not even for a little saint, cuz. So... <laughs> So it's finals y'all, the top five of the dance crews are performing and it's finals time, okay? So Wade approaches Elgin's crew and they talk a little smack before, you know, they get the dance battles going. Well, it's not battles, these groups are performing. And so each crew is in like a different color, Adidas tracksuit, which is freaking crazy. And Lil' Kim is present and a judge and is actually interacting with people. And it's not one of those weird things where a celebrity is green screen into anything crazy we also see a famous choreographer named wade robson who's hosting and announcing team names Elton decides to call his team the little saints so you like the kid enough to name your dance team after the little saints but not enough to reunite with your lifelong friend sure we'll go with that so the competition starts, and we see all the crews perform to like a number of songs. One of them is like a remix version of Get It On the Floor by DMX. Get It On the Floor, Kenny, get it on the floor. Wait, crew. Actually has my favorite choreography of these top five groups, personally. But all of the performances are over with. It's time to announce the winners. And the judges actually come to a tie, of course, between Wade's crew and the Lil' Saints. So Lil' Kim says, y'all, we got a tie. And her makeup is harsh in this movie. It's very garish. I didn't remember that. But yeah, her makeup was harsh in this movie. Where's the budget, Chris Stokes? Where's the makeup budget? Where's the lighting budget? Where's the hair budget for the guys? Two of your guys have long hair. Where's the money? Where's the money going? Who freaking knows? So <laughs> So, anyways, Mr. Rad, after hearing that there was a tie easily brushes through Lil' Kim's security to tell her that she needs to pick a winner. This is so important to our boys. But then the crews start fighting a little bit. So Mr. Rad breaks it up and he's like, hey, hey, we need to battle this out like on the streets. And it was like Lil' Kim was a sleeper agent whose code work was streets. And she immediately became excited and energized and announced that these teams were gonna go head to head in a battle. And what I believe is the cringiest part of this movie, Elton asked, you know, how street you want us to get? (laughs) And Lil' Kim is like, you know how I like it, baby. Straight hood. I don't know why that makes me cringe every time (laughs) I think about it. Also, this movie is 20 years old. The Lil' Kim that was captured in this film was 20 years ago. She looks so different than what she looks like right now. So different. She's a different human than the one we have now. (laughs) Anyways, they end up determining that there are no rules. So additional crew members start joining each crew, right? Like Wade and Max have people joining their crew. And so it's like, okay, now we can have people join our crew. So Rico and them show up and they're like, hey, Elton, we want to be here and dance too. And Elton is like, nah, I ain't, I ain't messing with, with David. And Rico is like, nah, if he goes, we all go. We need to all do this together as a group, as a team. Somehow, Elgin gives in. I don't know. There's no real explanation for his change of heart. No real compelling reason. Again, poor development of the story. But I also want to point out that a number of these dancers and people already have R.I.P. Lil Saint merch for a child who died less than 24 hours ago. I don't know who's making that stuff, but they are on top of it. OK, that's fast, It's a fast turnaround. We find out that the teams have five minutes and then at the end of the five minutes, the crowd will decide. And so the music starts and it's Joe Budden's Pump It Up. Now, before Joe Budden was like an Internet troll slash reality TV star, he was a rapper, guys. Did you all know that? he was featured on clubbing with marcus he says you know we be up in the club like again love that song but pump it up was his like main hit joe budding ashley is like a good lyricist he's there's something wrong with him a little bit <laughs> but came to get it on it hurts my heart that he is not focusing more on his music but anyways Elgin and David's crew say a prayer before they start and they dedicate their performance to Little Saint, which is cool. Now, some of the more notable dance moves in this final battle are like a knee spinny dance on the floor, which is cute. This Wade's team does. They got like this hip hop pelvic pop thing that Marcus Houston and one other person does where they're pointing to... Their nether regions. And then there was this point where, like, David was thrown into Wade's crew and got them to flinch, which was cute. There was a point where Oscar showed up. I forgot to tell y'all that Oscar finally showed up, y'all. Even though he doesn't do battles anymore and he only dances for the love of the art, he decided to do it for Little Saint. So he does some breakdancing that's inconceivable, but it's literally lasts maybe five to 10 seconds. And it's like, y'all brought up Oscar multiple times and this is what he's doing. He was great. Did he put y'all over the edge? Was he better than the other breakdancers? I don't know. Was he better than the wiggly bendy guy that was on Wade's team? Don't know. Personally, don't know. So yeah, I think. (laughs) Why did they talk so much about Oscar? Anyways, moving on. Max did this weird kind of levitating thingy that happened and I was like whoa magic trick like that was really cool there was also this like slow-mo move that Elgin's and David's team did together which was really cute so yeah they had these slow moments or whatever it's very cute I would agree that David and Elgin's crew were better and the crowd does too and so little saints win and they get a big old check for $50,000 and they will be featured in a little Kim video yay and so Elgin and David are friends again they obviously think their money troubles are over y'all how many people were on that crew i would say somewhere between 15 and 18 people what is $50,000 divided by 18 people (laughs) hold on let me look it up oh that's still good hold on even if the crew was 18 people they would each get $2,777.78 that's actually really good i will be one of 18. I ain't mad. I am not mad at that, y'all. But let me be quiet. Y'all gonna get your 50000 okay? But like I said, Elton and David are friends again now. But then when Leah comes over to congratulate them, she kind of like shakes David's hand. And Elton does the weirdest. <laughs> this part's actually pretty cringy too. Elton does the weirdest thing. He encourages his sister to kiss his best friend to show his approval for their relationship. And... They do a slow motion tongue kiss in front of Elgin. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I would never do that in front of my sibling. That was so funny. And then Elgin smiled with approval. You're watching your sister kiss your best friend. It's weird. It was almost voyeuristic. That was crazy. That was weird. <laughs> Anybody else think that's weird? Look, basically, their crew won or whatever. So Wade and Max come over and they're pissed off. And so they approach Dave and Elgin and they're like, oh, that decision was BS. We should have won. But then David and Elgin, of course, use wade and max's words against each other they're like you only just mad because you just got served and then they get the whole crowd to start yelling served if i heard people yelling served there are a million other words that i would think they were saying besides served personally so i think it's crazy that the whole crowd knew to use the word served but the movie ends with david and elgin being lifted in the crowd with their mega check in hand So that's the end of the movie, y'all. As always, at the end of a review, we asked if the movie or show is worth a rewatch and if it holds up today. Now, I really had to think about this for you guys served. My answers are probably and mostly. I think that this movie is probably worth a rewatch if it was a big part of your adolescence and you haven't seen it in a minute. It was actually pretty cool to see the old clothes and cell phones and dance culture and the boy band that I grew up loving. But if you don't like V2K or you have no interest in dance or dance battles, this movie probably is not for you. Now, when it comes to if this movie holds up today, I would say mostly for a couple of reasons. The first is that this movie came out when I was 13 and my standards for what a good movie was super low back then. And as an adult, the storyline is followable, but it's not really strong or developed. And in fact, most of the storyline is pretty cliche. We got cultural appropriation, best friends dating my sister, character gets injured or betrayed, a friendship gets over, A beloved community member dies. The community does something in memoriam, which inspires the friendship to mend. It's a tale as old as time, okay? The acting is pretty mediocre. There are some really cringy moments. The characters are mostly one-dimensional and the other reason that this movie doesn't 100% hold up for me is because of Elton's toxic behavior towards his sister he comes across as slut-shaming controlling overprotective and misogynistic like I said it's just toxic and we don't need that okay (laughs) But other than those couple things, while the style of dancing has changed in the past 20 years, the dancing in this movie was and probably will always be super impressive to me and well choreographed. I enjoyed re watching this movie and like laughing at it and kind of reminiscing on, like, yeah, I remember that. I still know the lyrics to that song. I just got reminded of so many things. And the way that you can tell that I got reminded of so many things is by how long my personal connection (laughs) portion of the show was today. So overall, I like I said, enjoyed rewatching it, but it's a special case for me because this movie is like near and dear to my heart and kind of encapsulates a number of years in my formative years. So if you loved B2K and you want a blast from the past, I would recommend you rewatch it. Now over at Rotten Tomatoes, you guys have received a critic score of 14% and an audience score of 69%. I feel like the critics are tripping and the audience is more in line with my own opinion, but that's only because of how And dear B2K was, and I guess is to my heart. So, let me know what you think. Thanks so much for tuning in to Sub Media Reviews, where I reviewed You Got Served on its 20th anniversary. Did you relaunch this movie recently? Does it hold up for you? Please share your thoughts with us on our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We want to hear from you. Join us in February for our Black History Month movie review series. Tune in next time when I review the 1985 film, The Color Purple. You don't want to miss it. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Submedia Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Submedia Reviews and on submediareviews.com don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and if you have a moment please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners so until next time peace out home slices